Good afternoon, Lafayette. This is Joe Cunningham here on the Joe Cunningham Show News Talk 96.5. KPL 232-1542 if you want to be part of the conversation. Right now it is a bit rainy, expecting uh, rain through the hour, but it should be clearing up. We should, we might have some scattered storms uh, for the remainder of the evening, but really right now is kind of the, the concentrated part of it, looking at the radar uh, and then looking at the hourly forecast. Uh, looks like most of it going away as we get into the four o'clock hour into offsides. So looking forward to that rain passing through. And I've got to admit, I'm uh, I'm a little bit tired of the rain at this point. But that is neither here nor there. Right now, some good news and some local news. So we can, you know, look away. We can look away from the national stuff for the moment. And uh, I want to start with a disclaimer. Um, up until Monday morning, of this week, I was an employee of the Lafayette Parish School System. I am not a teacher in the public school system anymore, uh, but I have spent the last eight years as a teacher in this system. So I wanted to mention that because there's good news out of the school system. I didn't want anybody to accuse me of being a cheerleader or anything. I'm simply reporting as somebody who is looking at the numbers and looking at the, uh, just kind of looking at the system from the inside. Lafayette Parish is getting recognized as one of the top school districts in the state in year-over-year growth. This was announced during a news conference where state officials released the 2022 LEAP scores. This is over at The Advocate, published yesterday afternoon. Uh, while public school students across Acadiana showed some recovery on key test scores after results plummeted last year amid the coronavirus pandemic, Lafayette Parish was the only district in the region in which the number of students in grades three through uh, third through eighth met Louisiana's longtime achievement goal called mastery, surpassing its 2019 number. Here's the breakdown. Uh, 38% of Lafayette students uh, scored a mastery or higher on LEAP tests in 2019. That would be spring of 2019. Uh, it dropped to 36% in 2021. And it jumped to 39% in spring of 2022. Now, of course, a lot of this has to deal with COVID-19. And Lafayette Parish was one of the few parishes in the state and it really was a, a leader in terms of putting the focus on getting kids back in schools rather than keeping kids out. Across the country, across the country, we have seen scores have plummeted where, uh, where COVID-19 was concerned, when, when schools closed when, when districts closed and kept kids out of the classroom, it hurt those district scores. Uh, Jeff Sadow, who I think was on Moon's show this morning, has a column up at the Hayride that dives into this a little bit more. Recently, the State Department of Education released test score results for the past school year. The news was cautiously good with minor increases, mostly across the board for districts and schools. Unfortunately, these gains didn't quite balance the losses encountered in the previous year, leaving the whole student achievement behind where it was for the academic year 2020. 
Leap test data clearly showed how curricula delivery based on in-person instruction outperformed that which was entirely virtual. For grades third through eighth, the rate of students who scored second highest in mastery uh, or above level on ELA and math assessments was 15% or higher for students who were in person for the entirety of the school year versus those who were virtual for the entire year. If you will recall, COVID hit and we shut down the end of 2019. The 2020-2021 school year Several districts did go virtual for at least part of the year. Lafayette Parish went with a hybrid model. And so kids were getting to come to school pretty much every other day. Not ideal, but it was still a bit safer as far as COVID went. But Lafayette Parish, because it got its kids into classrooms earlier and more often, Lafayette didn't suffer the major drops that you would expect in other districts. This is important. Surrounding parishes did not fare so well. The only parish that did better than Lafayette Parish was Vermilion Parish. And the thing is, Vermilion Parish dropped five percentage points from where they were in 2019. Lafayette has grown from where it was in 2019. It is the only parish in Acadiana that saw growth from 2019 to 2022. Ultimately, the proof is in the pudding. Getting kids back into schools during the COVID pandemic was the right decision. And there are people out there now who still think that it was the wrong move, that it was unsafe. But we never had a major outbreak in any of our schools. Our kids were in schools. Yes, the hybrid model was not ideal. I, as a teacher, hated it. But it got kids into classrooms and kids were able to pick up more than they would have if they were at home trying to learn through a computer screen every day. Here are the LEAP results by school systems in Acadiana. Vermilion Parish, 41% in 3rd through 8th grade scored mastery or above. Lafayette Parish, 39%. Then you have to drop several points to get to the next one up, which is Iberia Parish and Acadia Parish at 34%. Both of those are drops from where they were in 2019. St. Mary Parish is at 28% scoring mastery or above. That's down seven points from where it was in 2019 and unchanged from 2021. St. Martin Parish, 24% down five from 2019. Evangeline Parish, 24% down nine from 2019. St. Landry Parish, 23% down five from 2019. Lafayette Parish in second place with 39% scoring mastery or above, but the only parish to have improved its score from 2019. That says a good deal about the school board's decisions and the superintendent's decisions, which were questioned by student, teacher, parent alike. Everyone questioned it. 
everyone seemed a little bit nervous. Back when it was happening, I came on to KPL. I, I came on Acadiana's Morning News quite a few times and talked about the school board's plan. And having read through it and having talked with folks, I was opt optimistic about their plan. And I said so on the air. And I, I said that it would be a good thing for our students. And the proof is now there. Right now, Lafayette is poised to continue this growth. But there's even more good news for Lafayette Parish. It wasn't just the district. Also having huge success were two of our schools. Early College Academy is ranked among the top 10 of all Louisiana schools for the 2022 LEAP performance. And Myrtle Place is the top school in the state for year-to-year -year improvement in LEAP. That is incredibly important. Because what is happening right now across the country? There are education reform efforts underway. Parents wanting to get involved and see the education systems change in order to benefit their kids. And other school districts can see these scores and look at Lafayette Parish and try to pick up on what we're doing. 232-1542, let's go ahead and take a break. A lot of lightning out there. Y'all be safe on the roads. We will have more on this here on the Joe Cunningham Show. News Talk 96.5 KPL. Welcome back to the Joe Cunningham Show here on News Talk 96.5 KPL 232-1542. Uh, what do you think about uh, Lafayette's growth in school scores? Now, some of you might have noticed that I mentioned scores in 2019, 2021, and 2022, and I omitted 2020. Well, if you recall in 2020, school shut down as of Friday the 13th, Friday, March 13th in uh, 2020. So we never got any scores out of that year. Uh, the only thing we got were AP scores from modified AP tests, and they were not that promising, I can assure you. But the scores that we're seeing uh, from last year's testing... It, they're not, they're not, you know, truly magnificent. I mean, you know, 38, 39% uh, getting mastery or above. We would like to see more. Obviously, we want our kids in third through eighth grade scoring mastery, but there are a lot of issues at play, and the growth is what's important here. And I think that there is a lot of good momentum for uh, Lafayette Parish, uh, Vermilion Parish, some of these other parishes that have the potential, the potential for growth. So in looking at some of the issues here, I think it's important to talk a little bit about what's going on around all of this, because there are some issues that we do need to take care of. In the advocate story on this, it mentions the lack of internet connectivity in rural Acadiana parishes as being some of the worst in the nation. And, and the writer's not wrong here. 
Part of what causes scores to go down, especially if you are working remotely and not in class, in person, is if you don't have internet connectivity, you're not getting a thing out of your education. It was one of the biggest drawbacks of the districts that decided to do remote or virtual work. The infrastructure did not properly exist. Thankfully, now it looks like we're going to start addressing this problem. Um, a grant has been procured to expand broadband to 22,590 households, 3,723 businesses, 19 schools and four hospitals in Evangeline, Acadia and St. Landry parishes. That would be a big boon to a lot of these families. What we're especially wary of in education, though, what we should be wary of is the over-reliance on technology at times. Part of the problem is we push this one-to-one -one classroom and we push the idea that kids need to have computers to be able to do their work and that that is what's most important. The problem is not every kid has the ability to pick up where they left off at school. It's one thing to have a one-to-one -one ratio in the classroom, but it's a whole other thing to then give a student homework and then have to go home and not have the technology to be able to do it, not have the internet access to be able to do it, not even really have the phone access. Because in a lot of these rural places, cell signal, reception, things like that also don't exist in a meaningful way to allow kids to be able to do the work. There are a lot of things that we do, frankly, need to work on. And there are some changes that are coming down from the state, some of which I agree with, some of which I'm kind of wary of. There's talk that in high school, a leap test for English is getting uh, substantially changed or going away. Uh, the content for social studies, however, is getting revamped and looks very positive. I've talked about that on the air before. Uh, the tools that we have in our classrooms, in our districts, are constantly changing. There are some really good tools and some tools that frankly need a whole lot of work. But our reliance on technology, I think, ends up being more of a hindrance when you have an emergency like a school having to go remote. Uh, one of the things to note in this is... The cat is out of the bag on virtual learning, on remote learning. We now know that we don't have to cancel school in the event of bad weather, etc. We can just put kids remote. We can make their education virtual while they're closed. In the past, when a flu outbreak has been bad at a school, that school has closed down. Well, now you don't have to just miss out on those days. You can assign the kids work at home. But, again, if you don't have the infrastructure, if you don't have the technology, if you don't have the means for those students to be able to work from home, those kids get left behind. And it predominantly hurts lower class and minority students. Time and again, they are the ones who get negatively affected by these. 
So we do need to continue to work on the infrastructure side of education so that we can get from a 39% mastery in third through eighth grade to Vermilion Parish's 41%. Maybe even start knocking our way into the mid-40s. Maybe even start knocking on the door of 50%. But we have to do all of this by making sure that the infrastructure is there. And there have been talks of that. There have been attempts to address the issue. But we're not quite there yet. My hope is that in the coming year or so, we can really start to address these issues and start putting the funds in the right places to make this happen. Start taking advantage of these grants, start taking advantage of these ideas and really begin to markedly improve our education system. 232-1542, when we come back, Senator Kennedy has a new video or ad out. I want to talk about that because it is absolutely very Kennedy-esque. We'll have that and more here on the Joe Cunningham Show, News Talk 96.5 KPL. Welcome back to the Joe Cunningham Show. This is Joe Cunningham here on News Talk 96.5 KPL 232-1542 if you want to be part of the conversation. John Kennedy's uh, campaign team has put out a little 40-second ad. Uh, just, and it's, it's, it's the best way to describe it is it's John Kennedy being John Kennedy. I want you, it's, it's 40 seconds. I want you to listen to the whole thing here. People say I'm too outspoken. It's true. I have the right to remain silent. I just don't have the ability. I'm just being me, John Kennedy. Folks, I will never completely fit in. For all those Washington insider elite bedwetters whose feelings I hurt, here's some free advice. Go buy yourself an emotional support pony because I'm not going to shut up. And one more thing. Always be yourself unless you suck. That, honestly, that is just, uh, it, it doesn't get any more John Kennedy than that. Uh, it was it was missing maybe a few of the metaphors that he likes to throw in whenever he gives public statements, but that video is very much John Kennedy, and it's upsetting the left. It's upsetting the liberals in Louisiana media. Stephanie Grace is on Twitter uh, retweeting the video, saying this is why it's important to vote. If you don't, if you don't go out and vote the right way, it's six more years of this. This is what Louisiana voted for. This is what Louisiana wants to keep getting. Uh, it, it's. Again, it's just, you know, Luke Mixon doesn't have a chance. Gary Chambers doesn't have a chance. Uh, they don't even really have a chance of getting uh, into uh, a runoff with him, much less actually beating him. Uh, but Kennedy is, he's not, he's not showing any fear in this race. He's not showing that he's affected. He's going out and he's being the guy that Louisiana has voted for time and again. And that's a really good indicator that the team really doesn't expect there to be a challenge among the Democratic field. I, I wouldn't either. Uh, I really love go buy yourself an emotional support pony because I'm not going to shut up. Always be yourself unless you suck. Timeless advice from the U.S. Senator from Louisiana. Uh, but Kennedy is uh, Kennedy's looking at an easy reelection here. And the Democrats don't like it. The Democrats really, really wish they could do something, but they're 
nationally, Democrats aren't even looking at Louisiana as a place to win any sort of of federal seat this year. They are focusing on other things. They are focusing on trying to defeat uh, Dr. Oz in Pennsylvania. Uh, they want to try to get J.D. Vance in Ohio to lose. Uh, they got uh, what's-his-face Gibbs to beat Peter Meyer uh, in a Republican primary so they could face the pro-Trump uh, election denier uh, in the race. And and the thing about Peter Meyer, and this is what's funny to me, the Democrats have been saying that Trump and MAGA Republicans are a threat to democracy, but Democrats spent a lot of money to make sure that Gibbs is the winner in that primary. Peter Meyer, on like his third day in office, voted to impeach Donald Trump. And he basically sealed his own doom here. But do you know what else Peter Meyer did that most people forget about? Peter Meyer, a year ago, snuck into Afghanistan, took unauthorized flights into Afghanistan to report back to his colleagues and the House about how bad the withdrawal effort was getting. Peter Meyer went on the ground in Afghanistan, infuriated the Biden administration in doing so, and told America what was going on on the ground in Afghanistan. And yes, the vote to impeach did hurt him. And yeah, that probably did lead to his loss. But the Democrats spent a lot of money promoting his primary opponent and getting that primary opponent to win the primary over Peter Meyer. Now think about that for a minute. I mentioned this yesterday, but think about that for a minute. The Democrats have been shouting about how much of a threat, how much of a threat Donald Trump and MAGA Republicans are to democracy, but here they are making sure that MAGA Republicans get elected. And it's not like they wanted a chance to win this race. They, they, I don't know if they think that they can beat Gibbs. It's a solid Republican district. It's not as though they've made the race 50-50 it's still more likely a 60-40 or better for the Republican in that race. They wasted their money at a time when there are open seats across the country. I mentioned this the other day. There are open seats across the country that Biden won by 10 or more points that Republicans are within striking distance of or even winning in the polling right now. And the Democrats would rather use their money in those races, in, in, in these silly races, in, in promoting MAGA Republicans over Republicans Trump doesn't like. And they, they're perfectly fine with that. And then Gibbs is going to win and they're going to point and say, see, see how re extreme the Republicans are? You put your money in that race. You put your money into Doug Mastriano in Pennsylvania. Mastriano is kind of on a, a, an uptick right now. He could very well win that. There are other races that they have gone for and picked the Trump Republican 
And the Trump Republicans are going to turn around and win. And the Democrats made it possible. You don't have to do that in Louisiana. All you have to do is put John Kennedy on TV saying, if you don't like me, get an emotional support pony. Now, does Kennedy always do things I like? Not always. But Kennedy represents his state very well, and his state loves him for it. In other places, Democrats are just kind of giving in. And that leads me to this theory I have right now. I don't think Joe Manchin's running for re-election when his term is up. When you look at the infrastructure, I'm sorry, the, the uh, Inflation Reduction Act that he's putting out there, that Republicans like Kennedy are blasting him on. When you look through that and see what it actually is going to do, Joe Manchin stopped representing the people of West Virginia. He was, Joe Manchin keeps winning because he had a little bit of a conservative streak in his voting record because he had to keep the blue-collar conservative workers in his state happy. But now he's going all in on this Inflation Reduction Act, which does not do what the title says it will do. I don't think Joe Manchin's running for re-election. I think Joe Manchin has scored some nice liquid natural gas projects for West Virginia. He's probably done something nice for his family who has, you know, jobs and businesses in the energy industry. And I think Joe Manchin's probably got a foot out the door at this point. The liberals hate him. The progressives hate him for how much he stood in the way of the Biden agenda and how much he stood in the way of the environmental agenda. The Republicans hate him because he strung them along and then turned around and stabbed them in the back the moment they agreed on a bill that he actually liked, the CHIPS Act. He doesn't really have many allies left in politics. He will be a reliable vote for the Democrats, and that's about it. John Kennedy represents his state. That's why he's going to get reelected by such a huge margin. No matter what anybody else tries to say, the people of Louisiana like John Kennedy. The people of West Virginia are going to stop liking Joe Manchin, and he knows it. He's on his way out the door, and the Infrastructure Reduction Act, I'm sorry, the Inflation Reduction Act is exactly why. All right, let's go ahead and take a break here on the Joe Cunningham Show. When we come back, uh, I think the, the, the major story of the day nationally is the job market. We have to talk about that ahead of uh, the job creation numbers that are supposed to be coming out tomorrow. We will have more on that here on the Joe Cunningham Show. News Talk 96.5 KPL. Welcome back to the Joe Cunningham Show here on News Talk 96.5 KPL 232-1542 if you want to hop in just before the end of the show today. All right, so let's talk a little bit of national stuff, particularly the economy. Uh, applications for jobless aid in the week ending July 30th rose by 6,000 to 260,000, up from the previous week's 554,000, according to the Labor Department on Thursday. First-time applications generally reflect layoffs. The four-week average for claims, which evens out the weekly ups and downs, also rose from the previous week to 254,750. The total number of Americans collecting jobless benefits for the week ending July 23rd rose by 48,000 from the previous week to 1,416,000. 
the figure has been near 50-year lows for months. So, yes, near uh, has been near 50-year lows for months, the jobless claims. But, but you need to couple the rising number of jobless claims with this news. The number of job openings in the country fell to its lowest since 2020, since September 2021. The latest survey shows openings fell about 10.7, uh, fell to about 10.7 million through the last day of June. Remember, uh, we were seeing as many as 11, even near 12 million job openings, but now it's starting to decline. The most recent decline, 605,000 uh, job openings have been uh, have been closed. A, that's a, a drop of about 5.4%. All of this is happening at the same time as another bit of data you need to be aware of. Along with jobless claims rising and job openings falling, you also have job hiring slowing down. Walmart is slowing down its job hirings. Other major corporations are doing the same. Via CNBC, hiring also slowed during the month, dropping 2% to 6.37 million, while the level of quits, an indicator of worker mobility and confidence, was little changed, but well off record levels seen earlier this year. Separations also edged lower, falling by 1.4% to 5.93 million. In other words, people are not getting jobs. Now, tomorrow morning, we will see the job numbers for the month of July from the Bureau of, uh, from the Bureau of Labor Statistics. And right now, economists are expecting a growth of about 256,000 jobs. That's what they're saying. That's what they're expecting for the number of jobs created in the month of July. But with more than 10 million job openings and a rising number of jobless claims, those numbers may not be strong enough to stop what we all already expect is here, a recession. And no amount of whitewashing from the Biden administration is really going to change that you and I believe that if we're not in a recession, we are pretty dang close to one. All the polling shows that. Americans largely believe that we are in or about to be in a recession. Americans still feel pain at the cash register. Polling shows that Americans are not happy. And economists are expecting a quarter of a million new jobs to be created. In recent filings, the numbers have been off from what economists have been predicting. And often the numbers are not nearly as good as the economists like to believe. If that is the case and we get less than 250,000 jobs created, 
that's a bad sign for the Biden administration. And we're looking at, we're looking at a recession. My biggest worry isn't political at all. My biggest worry is not about the politics behind all this. My biggest worry is that we have politicians who are ignoring all the warning signs and are not doing what they should be doing to try to stave this off. The Biden administration fooled itself into thinking that inflation was transitory, that it wasn't going to be a big deal. And here we are with uh, 40-year highs, inflation outstripping wage growth. And they said that the energy prices would go back down. And they have, but nowhere near the levels they were at before Biden came into office. And they've said that the job market is strong and that's going to keep us going. That's what's going to keep us out of a recession. But all the numbers that are coming out today don't look like strong job numbers that would keep us out of a recession. The Biden administration has been asleep at the wheel from the very get go on this. So what's Joe Biden going to do? Well, he's going to declare a public health emergency on monkeypox. You know, the state of California, the city of San Francisco, declared a public health emergency on monkeypox. Do you know what the city of San Francisco then did? They allowed Kinkfest to happen. An LGBT festival in San Francisco to go on, despite every report. And these are the liberal reporters saying it, that monkeypox disproportionately affects the gay community. Despite the public health emergency of monkeypox, they allowed Kinkfest to go on. That's right. That's what the Biden administration is focusing on. The Biden administration is now declaring a public emergency, which opens up grant money for states and municipalities to fight monkeypox. But they're not doing anything to combat the inflation problem, the energy problem, the supply chain problem, all of the problems that you and I know are affecting us, are affecting our wallet, are affecting our bank account. They're doing nothing about that, and they're focusing on these social issues, and they're focusing on this public health thing, because they don't have any answers, folks. They don't have any answers, and they're not going to have any answers. We're just stuck with an administration that's already a lame duck administration. All right, that's it for me for today. The Joe Cunningham Show back in 23 hours. But don't worry, Offsides with me and Shannon Wilkerson up next. And hey, it is uh, it is going to be a fun show there. In the meantime, follow me on Twitter at Joe P. Cunningham, Facebook.com slash Joe Cunningham Show. Check out the podcast of the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And I'll talk to you guys soon. I'll talk to you guys again soon here on News Talk 96.5 KPL.